This ceremony was officiated by Jody Hojen Kimmel and Ron Hogan Green at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojen Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. And Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Welcome to those of you who are new to Fire Lotus Temple. This morning, usually there's a Dharma talk given on Sunday, but this morning um, Hogan Sensei and I will be doing a precepts Jukai ceremony for four students who will be receiving the precepts. My name is Hojin. I'm the abbot of Fire Lotus Temple. And this is the first time that we're doing this together. So I have some students, and Hogan Sensei has a student who will be receiving the precepts. And um, these students have been here for a full week. They arrived on Monday. So we've all been living together and uh, doing this training uh, for this full week of, of practice together, culminating in this ceremony with you. Um, the community, the Sangha. You are participants too. And each of these students have been uh, practicing for many years. Many years. Marie, Dan, Tate, and Stu. They've been practicing consistently because it takes a while for each of us to gain some strength, some deep practice consistency, um, that we know that we can stay and to make discernments about staying and being open to one's training. Um, and this is very important as well as to deepen with one's teacher over the years so we get to know each other and seeing how each other live because this is based on how we live a moral and ethical life. And I want to express my deep gratitude to Kaishin, who was the attendant for their sewing this week. They're, they sewed the garments that you'll be seeing, and she led the way for them. So Jukai is made up of two uh, Japanese characters. Ju, ju, ju means receiving, um, granting. Also, ju means to open space within the core of our being to what is natural and true. So this is making space for which the precepts can manifest as what is natural. And that takes time. So receiving what is is another way of saying it. And Kai refers to the precepts, which are guidelines that point to acting naturally for the benefit of all beings. The way of the precepts is going beyond the dream of the self. 
It is the path that reveals the truth of our own happiness and well-being. And it's intricately connected to your happiness, to the happiness and well-being of everyone. Everyone wants that, as Dalai Lama said, down to the smallest grasshopper. Every insect wants happiness. Um, And from the beginning, Buddha made clear that morality is an essential part of the Eightfold Path of liberation. That we are intrinsically moral beings, morality being deeply embedded within us. We know how to act. And we can experience the world in terms of what is skillful and what is unskillful, what is destructive and binding and obscuring and negating of life, and what is affirming and life-giving and positive, generous for all of life. So when we practice, we are able to see what is binding us, what are the obscurations, what are the obstacles in, in that, that are covering, in a sense, that awakened heart-mind that is always with us, our Buddha nature. And we're able to see that we never have been bound, that it takes someone to bind us. From the onset, a very clear establishment of moral teachings and practices are part of our Buddhist tradition. So requesting to receive the Bodhi precepts is really the first time in training when a student makes formal vows. Making a sincere vow to align one's inner aspiration, intention, commitment with one's everyday thoughts, words, actions. Dedicated to ceasing from harm, practicing good, actualizing that good for others, studying and realizing the nature of mind. And the bodhisattva vows are based on raising what we call bodhicitta, the aspiration to liberate all beings, liberate oneself first from false views, attachments, and to dedicate then that to the alleviation of the suffering of all beings. That is a bodhisattva. Each student's path, inquiry, and practice, and commitment is to continue to discovering how to do this from within the situations, opportunities, and limitations of your life, of their life. And these have come down to us in a particular form of precepts that we'll be giving to these students today, the 16 Bodhisattva precepts. And as I said, they're not taken, they're given, they're granted, just as Hogan and I received them from our teachers. And the precepts were created to function in a world of differences, of this and that, in a world of good and evil. They're based on the wisdom that the fundamental nature of all things is without an abiding, permanent, fixed self. 
rather than this leading, of course, it could to indifference, not caring, that nothing matters. That's just another construct. Um, The realization makes an imperative of living a compassionate life. Yeah, being connected with all of life and what life is in the world of differences. So they'll, they'll show how to do this, where the guides for this. As I said, most of us do want to live what's good and meaningful with happiness. We want to have a beneficial effect on others. And we, we live in a world that is stressed and distressed question is for these students, for practitioners, is how do we do this and, um, and be a practitioner of the Buddha's Dharma? So the ceremony today is a passage for these um, students in their practice up to this point, and it continues. It's the continuation. We spoke with them about it. This isn't an end point. It's really the startup. There's actually no end point. It is the beginning of something new. There are the precepts themselves, which we'll be going through in this ceremony. And most important is the making of vows, because that sets a particular direction. We've all made some kind of vow to something, sometimes skillful, sometimes unskillful. So it, it, it sets up a particular direction. It's a very live bundle of focused energy. It involves a commitment to see something through. They speak to something larger and ask us to continually return to them, right? Over and over. When you make a vow, you have to keep revisiting that vow. At least that's my experience. To really come back to your deepest intention. So to the recipients, if this is, if it is something you want to live by, then to really embody it. Embody this va- these vows you are taking. Allow them to entwine you with the teaching. Then it becomes your path. The real strength will emerge from your own unique life and circumstances as a way to be guided in harmony. So if the Jisha would bring them forward. So now they will come before you, the community, to bear witness to their vows. And as I said, Hogan and I will be guiding you through the ceremony so you can understand the sequences. And in their training this week, we went into great depth on the precepts. So we'll just highlight them as we go through them. First is a set of bows to the Buddha to acknowledge their original teacher, 
their complete mutual identity with Shakyamuni, the Buddha and the self become one reality. Just like when we bow to one another in the Zendo. One body to raise the Bodhi mind. Identify with having awoken. Their second set of bows, keep going, will be to their parents if they're present, or they will bow to in the direction their parents are buried or where they live. This bow is acknowledging and identifying with our blood lineage, our family, our genetic lineage, so much a part of us. Gratitude to our genetic ancestry back through successive generations. We need their support now, and they're ready to support us. It goes as well back to the Buddha of all who have been giving this gift of human life. It's a recognition of what you've received from your family and are receiving in your lives continuously, every moment. You're fed, you're clothed, you've been nourished. So to bring this very close to you, and the third set of bows is to Kanchi. That's preceptors. So Hogan and I are Kanchi today, mm-hmm. representing the lineage of ancestors who have been handing down these precepts, mind to mind, from generation to generation, down to this time and this place. It's said that the main thing that's transmitted is entanglements. (laughs) So next, Hogan will begin the ceremony as we do most of them with an invocation of the three treasures. So we invoke the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The essence of the path of Buddhist practice. We invoke it with our body and mind. What is invocation and how is it done? Through the body and through the mind. So from a kneeling position with your hands in gasho, the expression of the non-dual is brought forth, separate hands as one hand. Placing ourselves in the body of a Buddha. How we place our body dramatically affects our consciousness. We all intuitively know that. If you see a gesture like that, that's one impression on our body. If you see a dress, Address, if you see a, a body arranged like this, that's the body of the Buddha. That is your Buddha. That is your body. So when we invoke, we call to mind with our whole being and not just in words. 
So Shakyamuni, we take refuge in his enlightenment, in his example, in the fact of his human life and his devotion to giving the entirety of his enlightened life to us. And for our being here today, to think that one person 2,500 years ago turned inward and realized the essential nature brings you and I here today. This is not a coincidence. We invoke the Buddha because of his Buddha nature and your Buddha nature. His realization of Buddha nature as a Buddha and as all enlightened beings and as all beings, all beings within the boundless nature and all beings within the historical nature. We invoke the Dharma, which is the teachings of the Buddha and the teachings of reality regarding our identity with all things. When dharmas, while dharmas are always present in every moment and in everything, we invoke them to make them more present, more real for us here now. This is the real nature of all things. And it's here, right now in this hall, right where you are. We invoke the Sangha, the treasure of Buddhist practitioners, the treasure of harmony, Sangha and harmony, one body. Since all beings have Buddha nature, For us, all beings are Sangha, past, present, and future. Our lives are dedicated to the well-being of those who we meet, have never met, met, are present here, and will meet in the future, and those that we will never know about, those who we practice with, are companions on the path, all of them. Sangha is critical because it can reflect that which we are missing as human beings, that we are passing by within our life. Sangha is the space where we rub in, rub with one another, bump into one another, have challenges with one another, come into contact with one another. And though there may be conflict, This conflict isn't the usual normal conflict. It isn't the worldly conflict, because when we enter into the sacred, beloved community, we have a different obligation, a different perspective, a different responsibility. We see our interactions pointing us back to the things we most personally need to look at closely. So imagine a world in which conflict was reflected back to each person as something they were missing within themselves, not fundamentally missing, but missing in their psychological and physical well-being. And in not seeing that, creating harm and conflict. So imagine turning that inward 
turning that back to our responsibility for ourselves, and entering that, and entering it deeply so that there's a clarity that comes forth which always, always ends in a compassionate response. So by Sangha, we're being reminded to practice patience, one of the paramitas, to practice kindness, fundamental kindness, and most importantly, vulnerability. Why protect the self? There's no need. So next will be the invocation of the three treasures. And Seiza, please. Everyone, please, Gasha. I will bring them forth by invocation. Three times. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyabuni Buddha. Be one with great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with great holy Manjusri Bodhisattva. Be one with Kosho Joyo Daishi. Be one with Taiso Joso Daishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Be one with the Buddha in the Ten Directions. Be one with the Dharma in the Ten Directions. Be one with the Sangha in the Ten Directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great holy Manjusri Bodhisattva. Be one with Kosho Joyo Daishi. Be one with Taisho Joso Daishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher. Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great holy Manjusri Bodhisattva. Be one with Kosho Joyo Daishi. Be one with Taiso Joso Daishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. So next we'll do the Gatha of Atonement. So this Gatha initiates um, a state of mind that allows us to enter um, the rest of this whole ceremony um, into relationship, into states of being. So to live an awakened and compassionate life, we also have to face what's not compassionate. Right. 
we have to face where we may have been harmed or created harm as well to bring forth uh, generosity and compassion in ourselves and wisdom. So we have to face our greed, anger, and ignorance. Allow ourselves to feel the burden, we discussed this quite a bit, of our actions, of things, places where we might have created harm or been harmed, but mostly created by me since of old. And in turn, the depth to which we are facing it within, then we can feel it as well with others. When we have someone in front of us, we know it's the same way. They go the same way. So otherwise, if we don't acknowledge this, we can't accept these vows. We can't live these vows. And as we live these vows, we continue to address any effects of our actions and find how it is to move forward, unencumbered, continuing to practice a life of non-attachment and non-harming. So at this place, we're recognizing our karma, what we make of ourself, have made of ourself through our actions. That's essentially karma. The harmful karma in particular that we create arises because of our various states of consciousness, jealousy, envy, anger, greed, right? We all have our, our list of activations created by our thoughts, words, and bodily actions, as we discussed very intimately and upfront in our sessions. It's not abstract. It's not philosophical. It's what we think, what we say, and what we do in every moment, every moment. Now I atone for it all. Now I'm at one with it all, at one, not separate from it. We can take full responsibility, regardless of the circumstances, which at times can be quite hard, quite adverse, and make it difficult for us to live these vows. Yeah. We can't undo the past, but we can say, yes, this happened. Quite honestly, this happened. Yes, I can be at one with what happened. To penetrate and form your actions moving forward. Your actions belong to you. My actions belong to me. That's what we're taking responsibility for. As Buddha said, I am the inheritor of my actions. In this way, we're empowered to address them and to move forward and develop. Everybody, please, gusho. And I'll do a, a call, and then there'll be a response led by the Eno. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. All evil karma committed by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Born of my body, mouth, 
We'll do Shasui, and Hogan will speak about Shasui. Shasui is asperging, which is not a purification. Everything is already pure from the very beginning. It's a recognition of the mind-to-mind transmission to this time and place from the Buddha through the ancestors to us, to you, and by implication to everyone else. The water that Hojin Sensei and I are using is from the mountain, Zen Mountain Monastery, water from the mountain, the bow, from a tree, from the mountain, from the monastery. It's actually what comes out of our tap. I didn't bring it down. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. Next, we'll we invoke the three treasures. Now, you'll 
is the beginning of your receiving the vows. So without the three treasures, Hogan explained enough, um, there's no Buddha Dharma without the three treasures. It's not a Buddhist path. Buddha Dharma is a path of awakening, seeing, realizing what we call Buddha nature. We are already in possession of this. You are already in possession of this. So it's not something you can actually possess. This non-possessiveness of the three treasures, of these precepts, of everything, is of particular importance. You can't hold on to it, but it's bringing forth what you are already in possession of. And um, when uh, I will say these uh, once, and then you'll repeat on the second verse. So please, Gasho and Choke. Everybody, please, Gasho. I get the right turn. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Dharma. Honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha. Honorable for its harmony. I take refuge in the Sangha. Honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. Will you maintain these three treasures? I have taken refuge in three treasures. One full bow. And as you receive these next precepts, you're in choke when the vow is given. So we will receive, you will receive the three pure precepts. And 
they address how does an enlightened being experience the world? We are that being. We may forget, and then we take another step and start again. And that's the practice of each of the precepts and all of the precepts. The first of the three pure precepts is do not create evil. Do not create harm. This is the most important, and it is the first precept because it is the essential precept. Originally, there is no evil. It must be created by the inherent anxiety in believing and living out of a sense of separation and anxiety and lack of intimacy with who and what we encounter in this life. A lack of intimacy with ourself also creates delusion. And this creates evil in the most personal sense out of our greediness for ourself, out of our passion, anger, demand for ourself, which can be couched in many ways. And out of our delusion of self and other. Evil is to prevent human beings from awakening, from realizing their true self, their full humanity. And this extends to all beings, sentient and insentient. So it can be very subtle, it can be very profound, but the karma of it is extensive. Master Dogen said, this is the abiding place of all Buddhas, is the very source of all Buddhas. Do not create evil. Will you maintain this? Please bow. The second pure precept is to practice good. Is your knee okay? Good neither exists nor does not exist. It is simply practice. As you know, Master Dogen pointed directly that practice itself is realization. Realization is practice. It is manifesting practice. It is not an object or a condition. Practicing good is practice, just that. Master Dogen said, it is the Dharma of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, complete, unexcelled enlightenment. Practice good. Will you maintain this? And I am bound to practice good. The third pure precept is to actualize good for others. What we are practicing is directly affecting others, bringing benefit to all beings as our vow and as our practice. Master Dogen said, this is tr to transcend the profane and to be beyond the holy. This is to liberate oneself and others. 
actualize good for others. Will you maintain this? Are they bound to actualize good for others? You can kneel for, you can stand for the moment. So, how do we go about this? How do we cease from harm? What are the particular aspects of harming within the human realm that we need to pay attention to, that is universal, that cuts across all space and time, all cultures, all periods? So we'll now do the 10 grave precepts. I'll introduce and offer the first five, Hojin Sensei the second five. The ten grave precepts is in the specifics of how a bodhisattva lives. So the first grave precept is to affirm life, to not kill. Affirm life, do not kill. This is based in the principle of non-harming. And it's recognizing that within each life, is the entirety within each life is the entirety of all life. We know that scientifically. We know it in our bones, in every cell in our body. Within each life is the entirety of all life. While there is the literal understanding of each precept, and this is the ground of the precept, in the Mahayana perspective, the Zen perspective, it is the spirit of upholding the precept, which is one of compassion and not limited by literal meaning. This is true of all the precepts. It might be, for example, as a last resort, that we may have to kill to uphold the precept, perhaps to save others' lives. This is, there is a karma that arises from this action, from any action. And yet the karma, if grounded in compassionate action, is very different than killing that arises out of greed, anger, and delusion. Master Dogen teaches that life is non-killing. Our very life and living it is non-killing. That's the precept. The seed of the Buddha grows continuously. Maintain the wisdom life of Buddha and do not kill life. Affirm life, do not kill. Will you maintain this? I vow to affirm life, I will not kill. The second grave precept is to be giving, to not steal. Bodhidharma said, self nature is subtle and mysterious. In the realm of the unattainable dharma, not having thoughts of gaining is the precept of not stealing. Being satisfied with what I have, this is the precept of not stealing. In the dharma in which nothing can be obtained, not giving rise to a thought of obtaining, 
is called the precept of refraining from stealing. Mastodogan said, the mind and externals are just thus. The gate of liberation is open. Be giving. Do not steal. Will you maintain this? Uh, I vow to be giving. I will not steal. The third pure precept is to honor the body. Do not mis misuse sexuality. Bodhidharma said, self-nature is subtle and mysterious. In the realm of the ungilded dharma, not creating a veneer of attachment, is called the precept of not misusing sex. Encountering all creations with respect and dignity. This is the precept of reframing from not misusing sexuality. Master Dogen said, the three wheels, body, mouth, and mind, are pure and clean. Nothing is desired. Go the same way as the Buddha. Honor the body. Do not misuse sexuality. Will you maintain this? I vow to honor the body. I will not misuse sexuality. Fourth grave precept is to manifest truth. Do not lie. Bodhidharma said, self-nature is subtle and mysterious. In the realm of the inexplicable Dharma, not preaching a single word is the precept of not lying. Listening and speaking from the heart. This is the precept of not lying. Master Dogen said, the Dharma wheel unceasingly turns, and there is neither excess or incompleteness. Sweet dew permeates the universe. Gain the essence and realize the truth. Manifest truth. Do not lie. Will you maintain this? I vow to manifest truth. I will not lie. Fifth precept is to proceed clearly. Do not cloud the mind. We all know the many ways that we cloud the mind endlessly with technology, with desire, with endless distraction, so as not to be present for this moment of all our lives. Bodhidharma said, self-nature is subtle and mysterious. In the realm of the intrinsically pure Dharma, not giving rise to delusion is called the precept of not giving or taking drugs. Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. Cultivate a mind that sees clearly. Master Dogen said, the mind is originally pure and clear. This is Buddha mind. It is our mind. Do not let it become cloudy. Do not let it be defiled. Proceed clearly. Do not cloud the mind. Will you maintain this? 
thy power to perceive clearly, I will not cloud the mind. sixth grade precept is to see the perfection. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. And here's a precept that most of us fall into. But it says what's key is that when necessary to speak of others' errors and faults, but to do so out of compassion. Do so because it's skillful. Do so without any enjoyment. In other words, without any ill will when we speak of someone. Because sometimes we have to, and it's to help, right? To speak of errors and faults is to do it in a way that's helpful and out of compassion. And this is also a way of recognizing that we're human beings. We are human beings, right? (laughs) What is this idea of perfection? You know, that sometimes could be a tyrant speaking how we're supposed to look, perform, look like. What is this perfected being? We usually think in terms of absolutes. You're either all good or you're all bad. But your practice is perfect. Dogen said, in the midst of the Buddha Dharma, we are the same way, the same Dharma, the same realization, the same practice, not two. Do not speak of er er others' errors and faults. Do not destroy the way. See the perfection. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Will you maintain this? I am bound to see the perfection. I will not speak of others' errors and faults. The seventh grave precept is to realize self and other as one, to not elevate the self and blame others. And so this touches on another way that we use speech. So three of the precepts, as we discussed, really focus on our speech and how much harm we can create with our mouth. Um, So um, when we are feeling badly about ourselves, we'll find someone else to point to, point something out about them to actually feel better. It's very simple. It's very ordinary and it's creating suffering. It seems easier to point outward than to take a good look at ourself without blame. When there is no self-clinging, when we're no longer seeking or uplifted by praise, and we're no longer avoiding or crushed by blame, then we can cease from seeking comfort in elevating the self and blaming others. We recognize self and other as one, and that each person is complete, living with their causes and conditions. That's all there are. Making their choices, taking responsibility to to the degree that they do, 
And this is where we meet. We too are the same way. It also points to the fact that everything we see in others also exists in ourself. Important to remember when we want to blame. Different degrees, different expressions, but each of us is the universe and the same universe. So in a sense, this precept is saying, stay on your own seat. Dogen's commentary. Buddhas and ancestors realize the absolute emptiness and realize the whole earth. When the great body is manifested, there's no outside or inside. When the Dharma body is manifested, there is not even an inch of earth to stand upon, upon which to stand. Realize self and other as one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Will you maintain this? I vow to realize self and others as one. I will not elevate the self and blame others. The eighth grave precept is to give generously. Do not be withholding. So to, to not steal... Is to not is not take what doesn't belong to us, but this one is saying, which is a mind of acquisition and being possessive. But this is to have, and to not want to release it. To be giving, to give generously, to not be withholding, to have something that could help someone, material or non-material, and not wanting to feeling that somehow, if we offer this, we will have less. It's really pointing to the mind of stinginess, of grasping. It recognizes that when we hold on, we've already lost what we've wanted to preserve. And when we let go, the world becomes more abundant. Something many of us have to practice is... um, giving generously and not being withholding and seeing that abundance comes in that release. We become more abundant, more expansive. In this way, the Buddha said on many occasions, a blade of grass, a word, a gesture, an expression, a penny has a power to bridge a gap, to offer, to heal. This precept and all of them are about how to live generously and not be withholding. And all the precepts contain every other precept within it. You can see how this relates to do not kill, do not steal, honor the body, don't misuse sexuality. Dogen said of this precept, one phrase, one verse, 10,000 forms, 100 grasses, one dharma, one realization, all Buddhas, all ancestors, the universe itself. Since the beginning, there has never been anything to withhold. Give generously. Do not be withholding. Will you maintain this? I vows to give generously. I will not be withholding.
The ninth grave precept is to actualize harmony. Do not be angry. So anger is one of the three poisons that we spoke of. Greed, anger, and ignorance. It has a tremendous force. What they say, like one moment of anger can destroy all that you've worked towards to create peace. When it is not based in self-clinging, it has the power to do good. When it's not based in self-clinging, or it has the power to do good. So there is a fierceness that anger can bring forth, that can precipitate change, that can heal, that can awaken. But it also recognizes that more often it is in the destructive realm. So it helps us to examine our own mind, our mind that is in conflict, the mind of dukkha, and to learn how to not be afraid of anger. First, how to be able to tolerate it within ourselves, then we can do that with others. And then how within anger to manifest compassion. That's the most important part of that. Within anger, how do you manifest compassion? Keeping those pure precepts in mind. How to manifest compassion within anger itself is to recognize that accepting that which seems unacceptable is not passivity, but actually frees us to respond, to act, to practice. Anger can be a form of compassion for another, for the world. We know this, right? For the self, for the body, for this earth, for family, and for all our ideals all vulnerable and all possibly about to be hurt. Stripped of physical imprisonment and violent reaction, anger is the purest form of care. So when it's stripped of physical imprisonment and violent reaction, it's a form of care to protect It's an internal living flame, and it illuminates what we belong to, what we wish to protect, and are willing to put ourselves out there for. So use that anger well and compassionately. What we usually call anger is only what is left of its essence when we're overwhelmed by it. Otherwise, it's just that fiery force when it reaches our body's incapacity to hold it. This precept is not saying, don't ever be angry, but more as, don't indulge anger so that it overwhelms us. Don't become lazy, hazy with anger. Understand the power of anger, examine it, and when necessary, use it but use it wisely. Dogen said, it is not regressing, it is not advancing. It is not real, it is not unreal. There is an illuminated cloud ocean, there is an ornamented cloud ocean. Dogen is speaking of this, the non-duality of anger here. Actualize harmony, 
do not be angry. Will you maintain this? The tenth grade precept is to experience the intimacy of things. Do not defile the three treasures that you are. Beginning with taking refuge, invoking the three treasures, the last precept is to not defile the three treasures. To defile is to want to injure, to harm, or to destroy. It is to place ourselves outside. We spoke earlier about how when we make a commitment, a vow, when there is difficulty and when we struggle, when we're angry, when we want to criticize or affect the positive change, we do so from within our vows. In other words, we do that from our intimate contact with that which we are criticizing. This is a very, very different thing. This is not to turn against your home, your natural mind, to take refuge and practice the three treasures and to realize that they are life itself. They give you life. They give each of us life, and in that way, they give life to others. To not defile them and therefore to experience the intimacy of things. Dogen says, Living the Dharma with the whole body and mind is the heart and wisdom and, compa- of, and compassion. All virtues return to the ocean of reality from which they arise. Do not comment on them. Do not comment on these precepts, but practice them. In other words, don't turn them into abstractions in your mind. Embody them. Realize them. Practice them. Make them real, actualize them, experience the intimacy of things, do not defile the three treasures. Will you maintain this? I vow to experience the intimacy of things. I will not defile the three treasures. So this is really examining the mind that precedes an action. So if um, you can sit, just take, just, just, um, Dan can sit back and I'll speak to my students. These 16 precepts, the three treasures, the three pure precepts, and the tre- 10 grave precepts were handed down from Shakyamuni Buddha generation after generation, down to me. And now I give them to you. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you really maintain them well? I will. Please bow. Three times.
the 16 precepts, the three treasures, the three pure precepts, the 10 grave precepts have been handed down by Shakyamuni Buddha generation after generation to me. Now I give them to you. Will you maintain them? Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you truly maintain them well? I will. Now the recipients will receive their um, Raksu that they've been sewing all week. Uh, the lineage of the women ancestors and the lineage of the tradition and a certificate and a Dharma name. This robe, you have to help me with it so it doesn't go in the. The lineage of ancestors. The women's lineage. P. Ringo, having fulfilled, Gosho, please, just Gosho. Marie P. Ringo, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements <coughs> of Zen Mountain Monastery, Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 12th day of June 2022 received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way lineage chart, Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Ninsei. Pucho Hojin Preceptor. The lineage of the ancestors. 
were the Indian women ancestors. precept certificate. This is to certify that Daniel J. Donahue, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements of Zen Mountain Monastery, Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 12th day of June 2022 received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, lineage chart, Raksu, and has been granted the Dharma name Chikyu. This robe. The lineage of ancestors. women's lineage of ancestors. This is to certify that William Tate Doherty, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 12th day of June 2022 received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way lineage charts, Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name, Kairiu, Pucho Hojin preceptor. Buddha's robe. The women ancestors of our tradition. The lineage of ancestors. This is to certify that Stuart E. Kennedy, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 12th day of June, 2022, received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, lineage charts, Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Shintai, Pucho Hojin, preceptor. (laughs) 
Everybody, please gasho. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. And now um, you'll turn to your support system, the whole rest of the Sangha and your family, and uh, make three bows to please turn around to the Sangha. That's all your peeps. So now we'll speak a little about your, your, the names that you've been given. <clears throat> so Marie, your name is Ninsei. Um, and Nin is the character which, which is associated with Shanti, patience, and the paramita, the virtue of patience or perseverance, or forbearance, or endurance. That's an, those are other good words. And it also has the kanji within your character of heart and mind. Your heart and mind, a heart and mind of patience. Nin is patient, enduring, heart-mind. It's not a passive character. Often uh, Nin is presented as a person who is in a corner, with an arrow pointing to their heart. That's the character of Nin. So it has a, a staying power, right? No need to retreat. It's a time of building spirit to clearly comprehend what has taken place, investigating with your intuition, your wisdom, your mindfulness, the direction to then go in. And say is vow. A lively bundle of focused energy, as I said, a deep commitment to seeing something through. Vow creates a direction which plays a central role in the path of liberation. The more you understand your own mind, the more you understand the mind of others. And to bring forth what is skillful and wise. When you bring forth an enlightened vow, all subsequent causes and effects are enlightened to create a path of peace and loving kindness, not only for you, but for the benefit and happiness of others. It is the discernment of the heart of the Bodhisattva vow. Buddha said to his disciples, when a boat is in the middle of a storm, one wise, calm, patient person can set the direction and bring everyone to safety. 
When mind and spirit track together as a unit, it can move mountains. So your patient, enduring heart vow, Ninsei. Daniel. Chi is the character which embodies the translation of jhana. Total direct experience with ultimate reality. Jhana is knowledge of the eternal and real. Jhana is a Sanskrit word which means knowledge, but it's not ordinary dualistic knowledge. The idea of jhana centers around a cognitive event which is recognized when experienced. Awakening. Jhana refers to pure awareness that is free of conceptual encumbrances and is contrasted with vijana, which is a moment of divided knowledge. We're all familiar with this perspective of divided knowledge. Self knowing something, self knowing something about something, self knowing something about someone. And of course, in that kind of knowledge, we understand the suffering that can come from that, of putting an idea in a box and encapsulating that. The entrance to and progression through the 10 stages of jhana the bodhisattva stages, will lead one to complete enlightenment. The second character, Q, K-Y-U-U. So there's a subtlety in the pronunciation. Q is to clarify to the limit. Through our practice, we clarify endlessly. There's no stopping point. When we see a stopping point in our practice, we know we have to come back, take a step back, and carefully understand that for our practice to progress, something has to be let go of. To clarify to the limit, endlessly, no limit. There is never a time or place in practicing as a bodhisattva where our limit is reached simply because our practice of our bodhisattva is to help all beings. When will that be achieved? Well, we don't have to worry about when. Let's get to work now. So, cheek you. Endlessly clarifying enlightenment. And take your kairu open dragon. Being open is what makes any spiritual path possible. It's the key to the growth of wisdom and loving kindness to right view. What is it to be open? Quite a richness there. (laughs) For you to study. When it's occurring, new power comes to transform your life and affect others. You can be lost and confused, and you're never apart from your completeness, your true nature. Being open is non-interfering awareness. 
like the experience of listening to music, not trying to control what comes next, not lingering on the notes just passed, allowing yourself to experience without story or judgment, allowing wisdom to, be, to arise, to be trusted, to strengthen your confidence, self-respect, and turn that towards others. Ryu is dragon, a symbol of enlightenment. And there is a temple named uh, Kairiyuji in Japan, actually. From this enlightened perspective of a dragon, it is overcoming the habits of seduction that keep us narrow-minded and closed in our heart. That the enlightened ones looks to keep opening and releasing what seems held back. Master Dogen writes, the Dogen does, the, the dragon, the Dogen writes, the dragon does not become afraid seeing their true nature revealed and will go through many obstacles to see they are holding the one bright pearl, totally capable of receiving joy. Kairiyu, open dragon. And do your Shintai now. Shin is belief, faith, trusting heart-mind. Shin appears frequently in Dharma names. We got Kaishin. Um, so maybe some other Shins around. Oh, Shingetsu. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the faith spoken of the, in the Faith Mind poem. When we speak of mind, we speak of heart. They're one character. When we speak of heart, we speak of mind, one reality. Faith in your Buddha mind, relaxing into the faith so that every cell knows to be your true self. And Thai has the original meaning of holding on or persevering. Together, Shin Thai is a balanced and sustained ardent application of effort and implies a warmth of feeling, strong enthusiasm and devotion because you realize the value of something. Experience the value in and through your whole body and mind allows you to give it your full trust. Faith in the value of practicing the Buddha Dharma, the way of the Bodhisattva. It's not value as in worth. What's it worth? Or is this worthwhile? What's the payoff? It's much deeper knowing of trust in your Buddha mind, of wisdom and compassion operating perfectly. It is the wellspring of a courageous heart that will give you strength through all life's difficulties. Great faith harvests great joy, great love, in the fact of trusting the wholeness of your heart and mind without knowing outcomes. That kind of faith. It's totally enough. You are totally enough. And can use some improvement. (laughs) (laughs) So it's edgy right there. (laughs) To remember the faithful's trust that is sustaining in such a way that it becomes a powerful and onward leading force in your life. Shintai. Persevering faith mind. When uh, 
Hojin Sensei invited me to give the closing remarks of this day. I thought deeply about how to do that, how to include everybody, the people taking these precepts as their lives, the family who never, may never, and friends who may never have encountered this kind of teaching before, and the Sangha. And as I reflected back on this, and sitting where you are for many Jakais, and hearing Daito Roshi offer these closing remarks, I realized I already had them in me. And so I want to share with you the remarks that Daito Roshi would make at the end of every Jakai. He would say, and I say, we live in a world where, for the most part, there seems to be a fundamental lack of an authentic morality, a deep respect for each other and for all beings, for this earth and for our own wholeness of being. In vowing to live your life with these precepts, which is a vow to practice them, to study them, to take them up as the basis of your contact, your, your conduct, your actions, and to share your vows with an open heart and a willing spirit entered into as within the Buddha family. In a way, this is just the beginning. We spoke about that, of how easy it is to do the ceremony in one way, easy and put on this wonderful garment and be proud of it, but never go deeply into what is being offered to you and what you have accepted and vowed. And that can happen very easily further down the line. So in a way, this is just a beginning. Yet contained in this beginning is the whole of the Buddha's teachings the whole of all the wisdom and compassion that we as human beings can practice, can realize for ourselves, and manifest. May your life go well. May all beings attain Buddhahood. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.